Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. So on our path of spiritual discovery and awakening, how often do we invest time in discerning what is required of us in order to awaken or to know our fullness as individualized expressions of the creative magnificence of God. I mean, what does that take? How long is it going to take? What is asked of us? In the writings of the prophet Micah, he raises a similar question. What does the Lord require of you? And he also provides an answer. But we'll get to that in a minute. First things first. And that being said, this is week number two of our ninth annual Unity Awakening series of Sunday talks and small groups in which we lean into the works of a Unity author or writer or somebody who's worked closely aligns with Unity teaching. And this year we are studying the book Unity and World Religions by Unity Minister Reverend Paul John Roach as a way of deepening our understanding of unity teachings, as well as identifying and celebrating the shared connections with other world religions. And in the metaphysical group, and as well as on our Thursday night series, which are both are open to all, I've invited a variety of guests to share with us. And this morning, Rabbi Amy Schwartzman, senior rabbi at Temple Road F. Shalom, was our guest presenter. And Thursday evening, Mr. Barry Newman from Congregation Adat Raim in Springfield will be joining us. It's going to be a great series. If you want to join us, those of you at home or in person, go to the website, Classes and Events, and you'll get the Zoom link. So last year, brief recap, last week, we did a brief recap on the connection between unity and Christianity. And there's, a, there's some issues we encounter when we address that particular question. So if we want to say, is unity Christian, then the answer is yes, because it is, uh, because Christianity is an Abrahamic monotheistic tradition based on the life and teachings of Jesus, and we say the same thing about unity. And there is a challenge, though, because within the name Christianity, you have over 40,000 different denominations spread amongst 2 billion people. So to find a clear-cut consensus on what everyone teaches, eh, not so easy, is it? And for many Christians, the, what defines Christianity is the idea of fall and redemption theology in which Jesus, the only Son of God, died for our sins, is our personal Lord and Savior, and that settles it. The problem is we don't teach that in unity. So in that case, the answer would be no. However, we do have a teaching around that that is very important. Another issue that comes up, even though unity is very much grounded in the Judeo-Christian tradition, is what I referred to last week of, as the abuse of and abuse by Christianity. Because as you all know, if you know your history, that Christianity has been used by people in power all around the world over time in unethical, corrupt, and even violent ways. In spite of the fact that what Jesus called one another to do was love one another, build friendship and amity and connection. And so a lot of folks have difficulty using that descriptor to describe themselves. 
But there is one thing that is very significant about unity within the Christian families of faith, and that's what we call metaphysical Bible interpretation. Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore said that in reading the scriptures, we gradually raise our consciousness of them as more than history and begin to apprehend them as setting forth the principles and consciousness of the laws of life. And we find the great Bible characters fitting into the pattern of our own consciousness, where they represent ideas. This makes the Bible a book of divine life rather than merely a history. And so, too, that we read our scriptures with multiple layers of interpretation, multiple lenses, which is the perfect bridge to today's topic, unity in Judaism. The author of the material, Paul John Roach, says, Bear in mind that the Jewish interpretation of the Bible text has always looked beyond the literal. There are many layers and ways to explicate the text, including the lenses of morality, allegory, history, symbology, and mysticism. Modern metaphysics has its origins in the careful and keen interpretation of Jewish scholars over the millennia. We have much to thank them in this regard. When Charles Fillmore, co-founder of the Unity Movement, compiled his metaphysical Bible dictionary in 1931, he was influenced by Jewish scholarship. Textural interpretation in Judaism is referred to as midrash and is roughly parallel to what we in unity call metaphysical Bible interpretation. So a connection, one of many, is made between unity and Judaism. So if you have the book, please be sure to read it because there are a whole lot more. We don't have time for them all. So I want to come back to my opening question about what is required of each of us in our spiritual growth and on our spiritual path and how the answer was given by the prophet Micah. But before I can do that, i got to give you a little more backstory. You know, I kind of feel like we're backpedaling, but sometimes you have to go backward in order to go forward so you understand where we're coming from. So Micah is considered to be one of the 12 minor prophets of the Hebrew Bible and was a contemporary of the prophets Isaiah, Moses, and Hosea. And when we talk about a minor prophet, we're not talking about it wasn't really all that important, so don't really give it much time. It simply meant that the writings ascribed to the minor prophets are relatively short, as opposed to a major prophet like Isaiah that seems to go on and on and on. So um, his prophecies really, though, were not a good time because he prophesied the future destruction of Jerusalem and Samaria the destruction and then future restoration of the Judean state, and he rebuked the people of Judah for dishonesty and idolatry. Well, that's not fun. But here's something to consider, very significant something to consider. As Paul John Roach says in the text, whenever you come across the word Lord in the Hebrew scriptures, substitute the word law. If we do that, then we see that God is not being petty or unreasonable or all too human. As law, he is creating and restoring balance and harmony. Sounds a lot like what we talk about in unity as the law of cause and effect. Do the right thing and you are blessed. Do the right, wrong thing and there's a consequence. Or as my mom likes to say, hi mom, another watching. In life, there are no rewards or punishments. There are just consequences. Just consequences. 
So when Micah is prophesying against Jerusalem and Samaria, he is highlighting that the people have broken the law, broken their covenant with God. And what Roach goes on to comment in the text, yet the Jewish God is always forgiving and provides the infinite second chance to his people, even if they often fail to hear or attend to his demands. I love that, the infinite second chance. You know, it sounds a lot like the instruction on forgiven, forgiveness given by Jesus in the 18th book of chapter of Matthew. Remember the story? Peter comes to him and says, Lord, if my brother or my sisters sin against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said, no, not seven times, but I tell you, 70 times seven times. Whoa. Now, let's think about this from metaphysical symbolism. The number seven we teach represents completion in the physical realm. You multiply that by 10. That is the great multiplier. It just goes on and on. So what Jesus is saying 70 times seven times, he's saying just keep forgiving until you've got it done. Get her done. Get on with your life. Don't drag around the resentment, the pain, the anger, the angst. Make your forgiveness sincere and complete. Move on. Okay, now we can get on to Micah. And I even have a slide. So in this famous saying from, from Micah, which sometimes is referred to as the Micah mandate, it says, he has told you, O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? You know, it wasn't until I was sitting here during the opening and I thought to myself, if I had to put a picture with this passage, it would be a picture of Mahatma Gandhi somebody who was committed to justice, somebody who was ultimately very kind and who walked humbly with God. So let's just lean into these three aspects of this Micah mandate. Do justice. What does that mean? And it's one of the questions I'll ask you to hold in your hearts and in your mind this week. What does it mean for me to do justice? Does it mean that I do justice only in things that relate to me? Or does it mean that I do justice because justice is the right thing to do? When I see injustice in the world or the rights of minorities being run over, do I just stand by and think, oh, well, that's, I'm not in that group, so it's really not mine to do? Or do I get involved? Because I know in the sense of oneness that we are all one with one another, what impacts one impacts the other. As Dr. King so famously said, a threat to just justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And just because it's not my problem, do I have a pass to stand back? Or does it become my problem? because I am one with all others on this planet. 
Does it mean that I sit back and idly accept my new bright shiny thing, even though the hands that produce it were paid a substandard wage and in unhealthy working conditions? Does that mean that just because I'm male, I don't have to worry about the rights and liberties of women? These are the questions we lean into if we are going to do justice. They're uncomfortable questions because it's much easier to say, yeah, not my problem. But if there's one thing we've learned about during these pandemic years, if something happens over there, it might very well show up right here. So let us work for the greater good of all. Love kindness. This is much easier than doing justice, by the way. Love kindness. As noted in today's daily word, there is a passive and an active way for us to demonstrate love kindness. So when I think about what does that, what does that even mean? Did he stay up too late at the drum circle Friday night? Yes. What does it mean to love kindness in a passive sense? It means I let go of irritations. I let go of things that don't really matter. How many times have any one of us gotten all stirred up and in angst about something that's really not a big deal? It was an inconvenience. You can curse the pebble in your shoe that makes it uncomfortable to go on a nine-mile hike with Mara, like we did two weeks ago. Or you could simply take the pebble out of your shoe, let it go, put it back on, and let's get moving. That's a passive way to love kindness. And the active way to love kindness is to, as it said in Daily Word today, look for ways to lighten the load of others. Offer a helping hand. Say a prayer for those impacted by the hurricane or send a donation to help them clean up and get their lives back together. That is loving kindness. I'm inspired again by the famous quote of Cornel West that says, justice is love made public. Again, these two ideas of love and justice are always intimately connected. You know, what's the result of our kindness? I believe it is known, none other than demonstrated the kingdom of heaven right here, right now on earth as a very present, live experience. It's kind of like in our Unite and Celebrate weekend of events we had. All the proceeds after expenses go to benefit Lutheran Social Services of the National Capital Region. As we have thousands of new arrivals from Afghanistan, Ukraine, Central America. We do justice and love kindness and help them find a way to be at home in our hearts and in our place. And this last one, walk humbly with your God. Very interesting. It's a paradox, really, if you think about it. You know, so often in unity, we will affirm such things like, I am an individualized manifestation of the creative magnificence of God. It's like, amen. Can I get an amen on that? Everybody, say it, say it for yourself. It's, I know it's a rainy, gray Sunday. It's like, oh, Lord, where's my nap? It's true. But it's, and it is also true for everyone else. The world doesn't revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around anyone else in particular. It revolves around us all. We are all important. 
and none of us ultimately is more important than anyone else. Let us remember, as our scriptures often tell us, it is not I but the Spirit within who does the work. I love the line from the poem, The Desiderata, and some of you are familiar with it as well, and it goes like this. Speak your truth quietly and clearly, and listen to the dull and ignorant. They, too, have their story. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter, for always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. We all matter. Everyone has worth and value, and we are all created from the same source, the creative power of the universe that we call God. Now, I realize that for some of us and for some people, being given a pos the positive ways to do something is um, not the best way to learn. You think about when we're, when we're uh, little, uh, or maybe it was just me, and perhaps I'm, I'm sharing shamelessly. You know, little kids, you always tell them, now share your toys and share this and share Then, you know, sometimes they don't do that. You know how you sometimes say, don't. You know, sometimes, you know, we got to just have the don't and don't do this and don't do that. Don't do this and don't do that. And it's not actually I'm being unfair. It's not just kids. It's adults, too. Sometimes we just have to say no. So I was thinking about who who in the in in the world's tradition, I said it best. And I keep coming up with the uh, great rabbi Hillel, the elder, who was a contemporary of Jesus. And one of the things that he was asked about was, can you describe the whole of Torah standing on one foot? Well, if you're familiar with Jewish tradition, you've got thousands of years of history, and you've got lots of mitzvot and lots of the whole lot of everything. But he was smart. And this is basically what he said, standing on one leg, that which is hateful to you, do not do to someone else. That is the law and the prophets. The rest is commentary. Go and learn. Wow. That's recorded in the Babylonian Talmud. Yeah, go and learn. That's it. If it's hateful to you, don't do it. So for many of us, we have to balance the things, the proactive things to go do and the things to not do. Because, and don't do it to yourself either. How many times have we treated others better than ourselves? We have to stop. If something is hateful, don't do it to yourself, to someone else, or to the earth. You see, in Judaism, there is no gulf between God and humankind as taught in some of the branches of Christianity. The divine is intimately connected in everyday life. So perhaps this was Jesus' inspiration for the story of Matthew where he had the king say this, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Treat one another kindly. 
do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. Judaism is an ancient and yet very much alive and vibrant tradition. It is a culture, as Rabbi Amy shared this morning. It is a peoplehood, a personhood, out of which Christianity and Islam were born. And currently, there are more or less around 24 million people in the world who claim a Jewish identification in some way or another. Yet within Judaism, there are a remarkable variety of expressions from orthodox to conservative to reform to humanist to reconstruction and then branches within each one of those. Sounds a lot like Christianity, as it were. From the most extreme conservative to the most liberal and mystical. And over its course of its history, Judaism and Jewish people have experienced tremendous revivals and tremendous assaults. The anti-Semitism that is alive today and is still fueled by the same consciousness of separation that fueled the Holocaust. And if you have not yet watched Ken Burns' PBS series on the U.S. and the Holocaust, please make it a point to do so. In fact, that's part of your homework for this week. It's very powerful and very timely. And I realize, too, that whenever we talk about Judaism, there's always the connection to the state of Israel. In its basic law, Israel defines itself as a Jewish and democratic state. And although Judaism is, uh, Israel is defined as a Jewish and democratic state, the state of Israel itself is a sovereign nation with all the creative and conflicted energies of the other nations of the world. And within the framework of our study of Judaism, of, of unity and world religions, what we are focused on is faith and religion and not politics or policy. Yet through it all, Judaism maintains its life-affirming spirit and continues to evolve and adapt in an ever-changing world. And we have much to learn as students of unity, students of truth. So this week, your homework, watch Ken Burns, have your box of Kleenex handy, and ask yourself, to what extent do I do justice? To what extent do I love kindness? And to what extent do I walk humbly with my God? And if you find yourself coming up short in any of these areas, all you got to do is get up and do something. Because as Mahatma Gandhi said, if you do nothing, nothing changes. So next week, we will bring our attention to the final Abrahamic religion of Islam. It's an exciting series. I'm so grateful to be doing this walk of faith with you. Peace be with you and namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate your donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.